Good morning. Our reading this morning is taken from the book of Micah, found on page 779 in the Black Bible, over by the door, and starting at chapter 6 and verse 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. The word of the Lord. So I didn't say my name. My name is Ryan Phelps. I serve here as pastor. It's good to have you. Uh, Thanks for all of your prayers over this last week. Obviously, my wife is doing really well. She's ribbing me from the stage, so that's nice to see. Uh, And I was super sad to miss our baptisms last week, but it also filled my heart that I knew that this church is not about me or my wife. This church is the church of Christ, the body of Christ. Our elders could step in and baptize these people into the Lord. That is an amazing thing, and I thank God with them. Uh, So again, thank you for your prayers. We'll keep you updated. We have a few more medical things we have to deal with with Jessica, but we are uh, confident that we can... uh, uh, attend to the situation that's going on with her heart, and she'll be all good once it's all over. But we'll continue to update, with, update you about that. Just a quick update about our building progress. So I don't know the exact numbers, but I think we're close to about $123,000 raised. That is astounding to me. Thank you for all of your efforts. If you don't know, we are trying to raise money to uh, purchase and renovate a building just down the road. This is a building that we uh, will move into that will be our first facility that we own. We just rent this facility. We are really excited about that. So another thing that you need to know is that um, our, it looks like our close date is going to be moved to November 30th. Don't quote me on that, but I think it's going to be moved to November 30th. It helps Legends Gymnastics get out of, their, out of the building. They're there now. They're moving to a new facility And it actually helps us a little bit because we can't start construction right away. So this way we'll have a little more time to prep. It means one less mortgage payment that we have to pay as as long as we're here as well. And it it will also help us raise more money. So I'm going to finish that. I started with I'm going to finish that. That means we have a little more time to reach our goal of $200,000. I think that when I said that on August 17th, I said $200,000. I cringed a little bit because I didn't think it was possible. But we serve a God of the possible, and we've seen him do amazing things, and I, you know what, I'm not going to stop believing him anymore. I'm going to believe him that he can finish this out for us. So let's try to get it together, $200,000, now pretty much by November 30th. So we have been in a series called Following Christ in the Suburbs, Following Christ in the Suburbs. And the idea has been this, that wherever you live, you must learn how to follow Christ. Everywhere you live is going to be a little bit different. It's going to bring great benefits, but also great challenges. And so we in the suburbs have to take stock. It doesn't, it's not a bad thing that we live here, but if we are not careful, things in our lives, in the, in the lives of people who live in the suburbs, can overtake us and undercut our following of Jesus Christ. 
So we've looked at things like self-justification, community, mission. And the last time I was here and then this morning, we are going to tackle something that is difficult, but I think absolutely vital to being a church of Christ. And that is to be a diverse church, a diverse church. Before we get to it, let's pray. God, thank you for your abundant mercies in Christ that you have already filled us today, that you have filled us to overflowing today with your rich mercy. We know that you have given us everything in Jesus Christ and you are now making us like him. But you have work yet to do. We know that. We still have sin. We still have hangups. We still have blind spots. And by your spirit, would you help us now? And would you help us by letting our eyes fall upon your word and letting those words come inside of us and transform us? This will not happen by our effort alone. You must come alongside of us and make this to happen. But we know that you will because you love us. And in all of this, I pray that we have vision, not just for ourselves, not just how we can follow Jesus, but we as, as we as a people follow Jesus. How can we as a people united in Christ follow you? That is our question this morning. And we pray that you would answer it inside of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So I said, like I said two weeks ago, one of the things that we struggle to do well in the suburbs, we are in North Andover, but we, I know you come from all sorts of communities, Haverhill, Methuen, Lowell. We are essentially a suburb of Boston. One of the things that I think that we struggle to do well is diversity. And when I say diversity, I mean racial, ethnic diversity. The suburbs, by and large, tend to be ethnically, racially homogeneous. Well, that's a big word, but it just means that we kind of look like each other for the most part. We naturally gather with people who look like us, who have the same ethnicity and race. Now, that is a trouble for us, but I, I want to say two things first. First, when I preached two weeks ago, as I looked out and I look out today, I am so encouraged because we already have diversity. Latinos, Haitians, Brazilians, Africans, Jews, Greeks, Portuguese, Asians, and more. And second, I recognize that we are, of course, a church that is diverse in ways that go beyond our race, beyond our ethnicity. We are financially diverse, educationally diverse, culturally diverse. We are diverse in gifts and abilities and careers and an age and a million other things. So I say those things before we move on because we have so much to celebrate as a people. I am thankful for that. But listen, we are tackling this a second time because I still think that we have work to do. And I think that you'll understand why we have work to do when I say that our goal is not just diversity, but unity as well. Diversity and unity. That is our goal. This is the beautiful, complex, cosmic picture imagined by our God. And not just imagined by Him. Diversity and unity is actually a reflection of Him. A reflection of the triune God. I came across this quote from, uh, from uh, Tony Evans, a black pastor in Dallas, this last week. Listen to what he says. He says, Unity is not uniformity, 
nor is it sameness. Just as the Godhead is made up of three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, each unique in personhood, and yet at the same time, one in essence. Unity reflects a oneness that does not negate individuality. God's creative variety is replete, displaying itself through a humanity crafted in different shapes, colors, and styles. That is so amazing. Now, how do you do that? How do you reflect the diversity and the unity of God? It is not for the faint of heart. I think that it will require deep unlearning and then learning again. It will require seeing and removing massive logs in our eyes. It will require comprehensive confession and forgiveness. It will require, it will demand compassion and patience. And that's why I love Micah 6.8 for this. It is our wonderful guide. This is what it says, Micah 6.8. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. So think about that. God does not require our sacrifices. If you heard Connie read the the passage before, it does not matter how deep your sacrifice goes. That is not what he requires. What he requires is these three things, humility, kindness, and justice. These interconnected ideals are what reflects God's heart and his best for us. Now, two weeks ago, if you remember, if you were here, we began with humility. Humility. This seems, if, if, if I'm right, to be the most important thing for us as we walk into this thing called diversity and unity. There is too much confusion, too much tribalism, too much hatred, too much distrust. And we need to step back, open our arms, lay down our pride, and begin to learn again. And so I would like to say it this way. I think that our posture is humility. Our posture is humility. When approaching this issue, our emotional, spiritual, and even physical posture is humility. But friends, we cannot stop there. There's two other things in this verse, kindness and justice. And so we are going to move from humility, we're going to kind of go backwards and now into kindness. So if humility is our posture, what do you think kindness is? I would say it's this. Kindness is our motivation. Our motivation is kindness. Now, it's not just kindness, though. The text actually says something different. Did you see that there? It says that we are to love kindness. Love kindness. What does that mean? What does that mean? So my little daughter, Violet, if you've had a chance to meet her, she is full of life. She's not perfect, but she lives her life. She's only five, but she lives her life to a fullness, to a degree that I actually admire and try to take on. She's just full of life. She loves life. So we were at the New England Aquarium a couple of weeks ago, and we were in their cafeteria. It is not a four-star dining experience, let me tell you. And I was complaining like that. It was overpriced, bland, and we were eating with about seven million other people. Right as I was about ready to cynically bite into a hamburger that I was convinced was not actually made out of meat. 
Violet is sitting there and she erupts and announces to the table this, I have a great life. In the middle of chaos and mundaneness, she looked around and exulted in her life. Violet loves living. She loves living. Micah looks at us and he, and, he, and, he, and he preaches to his people and now God preaches to us that the only thing that is required is not just kindness. Something deeper is required. He says that you must love kindness. You must love it. It must be one of your highest values. It must be your motivation. You must love to be kind to others. You love putting others first. You love loving them. If you think about it, our spouses are do not just want us to dutifully love them. Well, I love you because I'm supposed to love you. No, they want us to love loving them. What delights them is that we love delighting in them. Micah 6, 8, no, is, is not just for marriages. God says that it is for all of life. We are to love kindness across the board. We are motivated by kindness. We love being kind to others, and we are to be this way. Why? Because that is the way God is. God loves loving us. He loves being kind to us. That is good news. Now, I would say that our kindness must be the building agent to unity. Kindness will build our unity. How Will it build our unity? That's the, that's the question right now. So we're going to hit kindness first, just a second. But I just want to outlay some things that kindness, I think, does as we try to approach racial and ethnic reconciliation and unity. So here's the first thing. To love kindness, I think that we must be able to see our neighbors. To love kindness is to see our neighbors. And here's what I mean. I don't mean just see them from across the way. I mean that we will get to know them that we will get to know those people who may not look like us. We will not just stop at their skin color and background or the neighborhood that they come from. We will go further. We will get to truly know them. I just want you to think for a second about Jesus when he's, it's in John 4 and he's walking down the road and he gets thirsty and he says, I'm going to go to the well to drink and you go off and you get some food to his disciples. He says, That's what he says. Now, he's going to go drink, but you know that he has in mind that he's going to go meet this woman, a Samaritan woman, to show her and to give her true drink, to give her true satisfaction. But this was a woman who was totally unlike Jesus. She was not a Jew. She was a Samaritan. So in a sense, she was an enemy of the Jews. She was an adulteress. She was thoroughly unclean. By the time they had finished their conversation, this woman had never felt more loved in all of her life. Do you know what, how she described how, how Jesus changed her? How did she describe it? This is what she said. Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Now, she's not saying that in anger, is she? She's saying that in joy unmitigated delight and joy. But what did he tell her that she did? What he uncovered were her deepest, darkest sins. The worst about her, he uncovered it right there. And yet she runs away amazed and overjoyed. Why? I think it is because Jesus 
saw her. He knew her in a way no one else had. He saw her ethnicity, her relationships, her sins, her upbringing, her heart. He saw it all. Now, he did not stop at her ethnicity like every other Jew in her life ever had. They saw her skin color or they saw her background. They saw her culture and they said, you are unclean. You are not fit to be around me. Jesus did not stop there. His kindness went deeper and allowed him to see the whole person. And don't you think that she felt that? Now let's just remind ourselves that those same eyes that looked upon that woman have fallen on you. Jesus sees you, every part of you, and he loves you. We love kindness when we have the same eyes for others, their ethnicity, their story, their gender, their gifts, their personality, their heart. To love kindness is to see. Now, I just want to pull one thing out here. To see is to acknowledge and celebrate someone's skin color. Maybe you've heard that the best way to approach diversity is to be colorblind. That's actually not the godly way to do it. Do not be colorblind. Because then you'd be looking past one of the most beautiful things about us. If racism is treating people unequally because of the color of their skin, kindness is celebrating them, every part of them, because they have been made in the image of God. Just think about that. Literally, literally every person that you meet is an image bearer of the Almighty diverse and united, holy Lord. So love kindness by seeing your neighbor. Here's the second thing. Love kindness by believing your neighbor. To love kindness is to believe our neighbors. So Paul said this confounding thing, but if we believed it in 1 Corinthians, if we believed it, I think that it would almost end our divisiveness. He says, just, this is a passage that you usually only hear at weddings, but it's meant for us. 1 Corinthians 13, 7, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And I want you to focus on that one in the middle. Love bear, believes all things believes all things. That is what love does. That is what kindness does. Now, to be sure, he doesn't mean that you should just trust the person who tells you that they've been abducted by aliens. I'm not saying that. It's not what Paul is saying. But he is, I think, saying, hear that friend out. Be kind to them. Let your love compel you to listen to them and be ready to believe them. You never know. Friends, sometimes I think that it would be easier for us to believe in alien abduction than for many of us to believe in the ongoing reality of racism and discrimination in America and the world. And yet the common refrain from our brothers, our minority brothers and sisters, is that this still exists, that it is still happening. Yes, we live in the freest country, the wealthiest country the world has ever known. Yes, things are far better today than they ever used to be. But it does not just mean that everything is okay now. That's too comfortable of an opinion. 
Ken Witzma is an author, he's a pastor, and he says that the effects of slavery and segregation created, in a sense, a wake in our societies and institutions that continue this day. So listen to what he says. He says, race is a way of seeing and categorizing people as a paradigm with immense historical momentum. A boat does not stop immediately when it's throttled down, and its wake continues even longer. Likewise, race, racial bias, and racially constructed societal patterns don't immediately pass from memory when they are discredited. Again, this is what our minority brothers and sisters have been telling us. What they have been shouting and protesting and even kneeling for. And all I'm saying is, are we ready to believe them? Does our kindness lead us to believe them? Do we love kindness so much that we are willing to believe the thing that many of us have no experience with? So Marco Rubio is a politician, a senator in Florida. And I was listening to one of the debates a couple months ago. No, I'm sorry, it was about a year ago. And he said this. He said, if a significant percentage of the American family believes that they are being treated differently from everyone else, we have a problem. Amen and amen. All I'm saying is that to believe in kindness, to love kindness, is to come in to our friends, to those who are not like us, who do not live with us, and have a posture of belief, not of pride and defensiveness and dismissiveness. To love kindness, Paul says, is to be ready to believe. Here's a third thing. To love kindness is to rejoice and weep with our neighbors. To love kindness means to rejoice and weep with our neighbors. Now, I'm putting these two things together because that's what Paul does. That's what Paul does. What does Romans 12, 12 say? It says this. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. I love that. They are right there together. Rejoice, weep, live in harmony. In other words, the prerequisite to living in harmony together is to rejoice and weep together, to mourn together, to find common ground with your neighbor and especially your brothers and sisters in Christ. You must rejoice with them and weep with them. So how do you rejoice? How do you rejoice with them? How do you rejoice with those who do not look like you, come from different cultures, cultures who hail from different countries, I say to rejoice with them, celebrate them. Celebrate who they are. Celebrate their stories, their cultures, and even their skin color. Glory in them as God does. And when you get to know them, simply work to celebrate your lives together. As you get close, celebrate weddings and babies and baptisms and everything in between. Rejoice. But don't just rejoice, mourn, also mourn. There is nothing that draws people together like mourning. Lasting friendships are often made in the furnace of affliction and pain and grief. And so I say to my white brothers and sisters, I say that I think that it would be good for us to mourn the past. To mourn what has happened in this country to mourn what minorities have been put through for centuries. And then all together we can mourn what is collectively happening. We can mourn police shootings. It's okay. 
We can mourn the injustice when lives are terrorized or taken unnecessarily. We can mourn huge wage gaps within races. We can mourn the huge disparity in incarceration rates. We can mourn all of these things for unity. I sat with a black friend about a year ago as he told me that he felt guilty about something. He felt guilty about something. He said that he felt guilty, that he was relieved that his sons were not as dark as he was. Because they were a lighter shade of black, he said, he knew they would receive better treatment in the world, and yet he felt guilty about that. I suppose some would condemn him for that, and yet we should only mourn. Rejoice and mourn with your neighbors. That is what happens when you love kindness. Our posture is humility, and I would also say that our motivation is kindness, but because we only have one more Sunday with this, we need to finish it out. We need to finish and go to justice. Our posture is humility. Our motivation is kindness, and here's the last one. Our action is justice. Our action is justice. Now, justice, just to give you a very simple definition, is giving to people what they need to flourish in their lives. It is not just to get them out of bad, unjust situations. It's also to bring them into situations where they are flourishing, where they have shalom. Now, God doesn't just say that that needs to happen out there. He says that we are to take it on as a people. Not just humility, not just kindness. We are to do justice. And so what does that mean? I think that God means for us to take what we have been given and use it for the good of others. That is what justice is, to take what we have been given and use it to help others flourish. Yes, to get out of unjust situations, but also to bring them up into flourishing shalom and peace. It is to take your gifts, your time, your abilities, your money, and yes, your privilege to help those who need it, to bring them in shalom. And the reason for this, friends, is because justice does not yet exist. Not really. We are still so divided until we are one, until we are one as a people. There is no justice. And so how do you do it? I'm going to give you three more things. What does God require us for justice? I think at first we need to say this. To do justice is to meet with your neighbor. So before we said that we need to see our neighbor, we need to see that whole person, but how do you actually do that? And this is why I say you must go actually meet with them to cross racial and ethnic lines to make relationships. To love kindness is to know the whole person. To do justice is to cross that line and meet with them. Meet with those who do not like you, who are not like you. It is not enough just to have some minority or white friends. It is not enough just to have some one-sided conversations on Facebook. It is not enough just to work alongside some people who are minorities or white in your workplaces. If we are going to find unity, if we are going to get past our anger and frustration and distrust, we must build bridges and meet. That is the work of justice, isn't it? We must get to know. We must cross racial and ethnic lines and develop 
friendships. Maybe you remember the name Benjamin Watson. I don't think he's in the NFL anymore, but he played for the Patriots and then for, the, uh, for uh, New Orleans. And then he said this, wonderful book by him. He said this, until we can see each other as equals, as mothers and fathers, as sons and daughters, justice is never going to be even-handed. Only when we share time together and make it personal will we lay aside prejudice and of, of our minds and experience the true understanding of our hearts. Only when blacks and whites, and listen, I would add, enter here any minority, only when we watch our kids play together, we will know that we are all created by God and are commonly human. It's beautiful. Here's my, what Matt Chandler says. You will never develop empathy on Facebook or Twitter. It requires proximity. Empathy develops from deep, legitimate relationships. Now, I don't think I've ever quoted a politician before in a sermon, and, but I'm going to do it twice in one morning. So a couple of politicians, I don't even know who they are, which side of the aisle they're on, but I, I read something about their, something, a, a strategy they're coming up with to try to cross these barriers and bring us together in unity. They suggest that you take your Sunday evening and have dinner with someone you would not normally have dinner with, especially someone who does not look like you, a different ethnicity, different nationality, different race, and then get to know them. Ask questions of them. Seek to learn what you do not already know about them. They call it Solution Sunday. This is what one of them says. He says, we will never get all of our issues on the table until we get our feet under the same table. That is justice. That's justice to me. To do justice, meet with your neighbor. Here's number two. To do justice, defend your neighbor. Defend your neighbor. Defend those who are mistreated because of the color of their skin, because of their ethnicity. Remember the parable of the Good Samaritan? Jesus tells it to the Pharisees, to the Jews. He says there's a Jewish man lying there after he's been beaten and robbed right on the road. And person after person, good person after good person, passes him by and offers no assistance. And then the unthinkable happens. A Samaritan stops to help him. He cares for him, gives him financial assistance. Jesus' point is so clear, isn't it? This is how, you, how far you must go in reaching out and helping your neighbor. You will defend the person who is totally different from you. You will cross every kind of line to, to meet their needs and to help them and to love them. That is justice. What does that look like in your life? Are minorities being treated unfairly in your company? Find ways to encourage better equality and remove glass ceilings. Are you ever around people who tell racist jokes? Be courageous to not laugh and perhaps even to tell them to stop. Have you ever considered becoming a foster parent or to join in the program called Safe Families? Give a roof and food to, and love to someone in need. What else? To do justice, defend. Here's the last thing this morning. To do justice, it's kind of a long one, 
Revel in the common blood bond you have with your brothers and sisters in Jesus. I'll say that again. Revel in the common blood bond you have with your brothers and sisters in Jesus. So every other point this morning has focused around our neighbors. So that is a person who is a Christian or not a Christian. But now I want to end with us, with the church. My belief is that unless we can get this right in here, Unless we can get this right amongst those who believe and love Jesus, we will never get it right out there. We must lead in this effort. And if you look at the history of the world and Christianity, you see our faith coming in at different times and changing the world. We have not always done a good, we've always not, we've not always done good here. We have supported slavery and segregation. And yet we have also led in, these, in, the, in times to end these things. And yet again, we must take the lead. But it will take incredible vision, won't it? It will take us remembering and rejoicing in who we truly are. In Jesus, friends, we have common blood. And to do justice, we must lift this up. We must remind ourselves of this often. And we must revel in it. So a couple of months ago, I came across a picture, and it was this scene probably taken in the 1930s or the 40s, and it was a, a picture of a meeting place taken from the back. And lying in the front were dozens of people in white hoods and cloaks. It was a bunch of Klansmen. And they were standing in the front of all these other people, obviously receiving some sort of commendation some sort of commendation for their work in the world, in that community. And in, the, and in giant text above them, behind them, read the phrase, Jesus saves. The meeting place was a church. And the commendation was coming from the pastor. And that is blasphemy. I almost showed it this morning, but this morning as I was sitting in the back going over things, I, I couldn't do it. I could not put that into our church. The notion that any race would celebrate Christ while working to destroy another is a blasphemy. But I tell you this so that we can remember again who we are. Who we are and our goal is literally the opposite. To be saved by Christ is also to be saved to each other. In Ephesians 2, Paul did not simply say that Jesus broke down the dividing walls of hostility to make us equals. He didn't just break down those walls between Jews and Samaritans and now together all races and ethnicities. He didn't just break those down just to make us equals. Now we're good. Now we can just separate out and be as one. But in other places. No, he said that he would break down the dividing walls of hostility to make us united, to make us one. And so now listen very closely. The blood of Jesus that saved us now runs through our veins. And the blood of Jesus that runs through our veins now unites all who believe on him. Hallelujah. We are united across all colors and ethnicities, and every other way by 
blood, by the blood of Jesus Christ. This idea led uh, Ray Orland to say a few weeks ago this. He says, when that young man walked into that church in Charleston and shot those people, he did not understand that he should have come and shot me too. Ray is a white guy. Because we are one. If he thinks there's a difference between me and those precious people in Charleston, he does not understand the church. To do justice is to take what you have been given and to use it for the flourishing of others. And friends, your greatest privilege is your salvation, your union with Jesus Christ. It is the blood that runs through your veins. And I just want you to think and imagine and dream what it would look like for you to take that and use it for the good of the world. I do not think that there is a limit to what that could do in your life. So let's be radical. Maybe you would move into the inner city. Maybe you would adopt. Maybe you would consistently encourage your kids to marry outside of their race or ethnicity. Maybe you would seek to plant a church in Lawrence or Haverhill or Lowell. Is there a limit to what God can do through us? We have his blood running through our veins and his blood unites all who believe on him. Friends, these, these, this series has been to raise awareness in a sense, but it is also to raise your heads and your hearts. We are the church, rooted in eternity, carried by the Spirit, and united in the blood of the Son. And so, friends, our goal is cosmic. It is heavenly. Listen to Revelation 7, 9. And after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Now listen to what they're clothed in. White robes. With palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. May that be the picture for our church. May that be the vision for our church. United in the blood of Christ. Let's pray. God, I am going to end where I started, and that is with humility. Before we can get to kindness and to justice, I feel like, feel like we have room to grow. We have pride to let go. Would you help us to do this as a people, as a common goal together? Would we be humble before this incredibly difficult subject? And it is incredibly difficult. I'm so encouraged by people in this church who are living into this reality now. They are taking this on. I'm encouraged by my minority brothers and sisters who are also in humility doing this, taking this on. And they are not just saying there's a problem that you need to deal with. No, they are saying we know that there is also a problem with us. We have blind spots. As a people under Christ, may we remember the cross that we are humbled beneath you. We are all the same and we have so much room to grow. But I do pray quickly that we are able to move out into kindness and justice. That we would be a weird church. North Andover is 96% white. May we be weird here. 
May we look different, but not just look different. May we be different, diverse, and united. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.